Well, the beginning of a new year should be a time of both reflection and preparation. It's a time of reflection on the blessings and the challenges of the past year. And it should be a time for all of us of preparation for the new year. As we should be better equipped because of what we've learned and how we've matured in 2011. That's true for each of us as individuals. It's also true for us as a church. This past year has provided occasion for us as a church to reflect on God's work at CBC. In October, we celebrated 10 years of God's faithfulness. And over the past year, we've seen God's blessings in the growth of our ministry, in the mundane but important matters of membership and giving. And despite having lost many faithful and beloved families to relocation, our average attendance increased for the 10th straight year. And despite a struggling economy in 2011, it was a record year as God's people have sacrificially given toward the advance of his mission. As happens every year, we grieved over the loss of some beloved members that God chose to call home. While at the same time, we rejoiced that their labor on earth is done and that they found rest in the arms of the Savior. Both as individuals and as a congregation, it's good for us to reflect and to prepare. At our very first service on September 9 of 2001, I presented three points to underscore the kind of church that we wanted to be, our very first service. And I called those things that described what we want to be community values. And the three values that I presented were these, truth and community and service. In fact, these are all still listed on the About Us page on our website. And those, each of those three are explained on our website using the very wording that I used at that very first service. And since that time, we've embodied those values in our mission statement. I hope most of you know what our mission statement is, but I won't embarrass anyone. And for those who are fairly new, this is our mission statement, that CBC exists to help people learn about God and love Him and others and live for His purpose. So we have those three objectives of learning, and loving and living, and they flow out of those three values of truth and community and service that we gave at that very first service in 2001. Now today I've chosen to focus on the third of those, service, living for God's purpose, as we prepare for 2012, both as individuals and as a church. Now why? Why should I focus on, on service or living for his purpose? Well, let me give you a few reasons. Service or living for Jesus' purpose is the fruit of the other two. So truth and community or learning and living are to issue forth in the fruit of us serving, living out the purpose to which Christ has called us. We live for his purpose only after we learn who he is and what he desires of us. And only because we love this one about whom we've learned and have come to know. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so as such, our commitment to and our involvement in service is one very important barometer of our growth in the Lord. The second reason that I want to focus on service or living for God's purpose is that this coming year, 2012, is a pivotal one for our church. As most of you know, we're investigating the possibility of purchasing a building, a former elementary school in Trent. And for years, I've referred to any building we might obtain as a ministry center. Most of you have heard that. I call it a ministry center rather than a church. Because the church is not a building. The church is God's people.
But the building is a place where the church meets and where it serves and is trained for service. As a matter of fact, in your New Testament, the word that's translated ministry is the same word often translated service. Same thing. So a ministry center is really a service center where service occurs and training for more service takes place. Now, we hope to provide a, a full update on the status of the ministry center and its potential purchase at our family meeting on February 5th. That's listed in the long-range events in your, in your program, so you might mark that. And if the purchase of the building comes to fruition, it's going to afford us opportunities for service as a church and as individuals that we've not had in the past. It will allow us to be what I call a full-service church. A church in which everyone is fully serving and a church that offers a full range of services to the community for the sake of the gospel. Now, as you guys have heard me say many times, our church is blessed to have fully 70% of our members actively involved in service. And because service has been part of the DNA of our church from literally day one, we've been blessed to not fall victim to the common statistic that you hear that in most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. But still, even with 70%, that leaves 30% who are not yet serving. And some of us who are in the 70% are not necessarily serving to full capacity. And hear this, friends, if our vision of being a full-service church is going to be realized, it means every member serving fully. So why focus then on service at the beginning of a new year? Because it's the product of the fruit of truth and community, learning and living. Because, practically speaking, it's going to be necessary for us as we move into a ministry center, Lord willing, later next year and become a full-service church. But thirdly, and most important, Jesus highlighted service as a measure by which we will be evaluated in the parable that we're going to consider this morning in Matthew chapter 25. Let's read together, beginning in verse 14 of Matthew 25. Again, it will be like a man going. Now, it will be like. What will be like? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God will, that he has already spoken about in a prior parable. He is now continuing with a new story, a new parable. And it, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And so I was afraid, went out and hid your talent in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown, gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. 
take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who, is, who, has, who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Two thousand twelve is an election year. Back in the nineteen eighty presidential election, Ronald Reagan used a question posed to the country at large against incumbent President Jimmy Carter. Ask yourselves, Reagan said, are you better off than you were four years ago? Reagan won in a landslide. And that question will be asked of the voting public this year. To the chagrin of many incumbent mayors and governors and congressmen and senators and, yes, the president. It's a question that each public official should ask regularly of himself or herself. Are the people who've entrusted me with this office better off than they were when I was elected? If they regularly ask themselves that question they'd be more inclined to do the things that would yield an affirmative answer come election time. If they questioned themselves before the election, they'd withstand the scrutiny during the election. And Jesus has told us in this parable that there will be a day of evaluation for each of us. And a verdict will be rendered of well done or worthless. And the question that we need to ask ourselves now, before that time, is am I a more faithful servant than I was a year ago? Have I served the, entrance, the interests of Jesus Christ better than a year ago? If I were to stand before my Lord this afternoon, would I hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Sobering questions, are they not? But questions that each of us, each of us, needs to ask ourselves on January 1 of 2012. Because there will be a day where we will give an account of what the Lord has entrusted to us. Now, if you're sobered by that reality, as I am, then you understand that you need to go to the Lord of all grace <laughs> and say, Lord, I need your help. I need you to teach me this morning. I need you to help me to resolve to do with what you have given, accomplishment of the purpose for which you have given it, and then help me throughout this year of 2012. Let's bow together, and then let's look at what Jesus says in the sobering parable. Father, we come to you with stilled hearts right now. Because Jesus, God the Son, has spoken. He's spoken with all authority. There can be no question of him. And what he requires, what he desires, and what he rightly demands of those who are called his servants. And yet our hearts are stilled, Lord, because we know we are not equal to such a task. And we also know that our hearts are prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. And prone to leave the God we love. And so, Lord, we ask you, by your mercy, your grace, to grant us open hearts, open minds as we look at what Jesus has said, as we prepare in 2012 for that day when we will stand before the Lord of the universe, and that we might prepare now by your grace to hear the words, well done. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I say in the outline that's inserted in your program. I encourage you to take a look at that if you don't have it out now. 
And I say there, for each person, the Lord does these four things according to this parable. One, he entrusts each person with responsibilities. In verses 14 and 15 of the parable that we've read, you have this master who is going off on a journey and he gives to these three servants each a measure of responsibility. Now the word that's translated servants there is a Greek word doulos. Some of you know that that's often translated as slave. And in New Testament times, a slave could be a common laborer or a slave owned by the master could be a skilled craftsman. It was not their abilities that set them apart as doulos is or, or slaves, servants. What they had in common was ownership by the master. They had different sets of skills and abilities all owned by the master. And the, the master who's going off on this journey gives them each different degrees of responsibility. To one, he gives five. To the other two, to the other one. And the number in Jesus' parable is not, therefore, important. But what's important is that it's given, according to verse 15, each according to his ability. And so each are given different, a different measurement. We'll talk about what that measurement is in a moment. But it's meted out by the master according to each's ability. It's not equal distribution. And each is to use what they've been given for the master. And so all are given different amounts, but all have in common that they belong and it belongs to the master. And what they've been given is to be used for the master. One was given five talents, another two, another one. Talent is not used in the Bible in the same way we use the word. It was originally a unit of weight, of measurement. And that's because monetary value was established by weight. And so a talent of gold would be a, a weight of, of gold. And it would be very valuable because it weighed more. Silver, somewhat less. Copper and bronze, much less. And so we're each given from the master... A measurement of, in the case of the parable, money, but it's not just money. We're each given abilities. And we're each given time. In different measure, according to, our own abil according to the abilities that he has meted out, to be used for his purpose. Now let me ask you, does the Bible teach that you are a slave, a doulos, a servant of Jesus Christ? Does the Bible teach that you and I are not our own, but we have been bought with a price by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore are no longer our own, but belong to Him? And what Jesus is saying here now, Jesus the, the Master, and we as the slaves, we as His servants who belong to Him in whole, He is saying that we are not to produce equal, we don't use equal gifts. He's distributed according to our ability, but we are to engage, hear this, in equal sacrifice. Each of us have different abilities and measures of time and access to treasure, but all of those are to be used with equal sacrifice for the Lord to whom we will give an account. We've been given time and talent and treasure, and the question is, to whom do these belong, and will we use them for his purposes? And if the answer is to the Lord Jesus, then the question we have to answer is, will I use what he has given for the purpose for which he has given it? For each person, the Lord entrusts us with responsibilities. Secondly, in your outline, for each person, the Lord expects us to respond appropriately. <clears throat> he entrusts us with responsibilities, and then he expects us to respond appropriately. Now, how did these three servants respond? 
Well, in verses 16 through 18, we're told that the one who was given five gained five more. The one given two gained two more. The one who had been given one talent gained nothing. And verse 16 tells us that the one who had been given five and the one who had been given two went out and it says put to work what had been given to them. Now, they put it to work, meaning they used it for the purpose for which it was given. They put it to use for the master's purposes. And the one who gained nothing, we're told, buried it in the ground, that is, failed to use it for the purpose for which given. They did not receive the same measure and they did not produce the same return. You notice, one was given five, he produced five. One was given two, he produced two. So the point is not who's given more and the point is not who produces more. The point is, do you use what has been given for the purpose for which it's been given by the Master? But they did, those first two of the three servants, did produce fruit. As we're going to see, every one of God's servants, if we are truly God's servants, we will produce fruit. And so the question for us then is, do we use what God has given for His purpose or for ours? What's important to you? Your master's business or yours? What matters most to you? God's work or your hobbies and your recreation? And stuff that in the end, when we stand before the master and give an evaluation, friends, forgive the grammar, just ain't going to matter. I could pick on all kinds of stuff that we, and I include myself, that we waste his time on. In the end, guys, fantasy football won't matter. In the end, gals, who is decked out in the best fashion isn't going to matter. And who looked the best isn't going to matter. Jesus is going to require of us as to whether we used what he gave for the purpose for which he gave it. And so each person, each of us, at the beginning of this new year, needs to ask ourselves, how am I using what he has given? Thirdly, in your outline, for each person, the Lord encourages us to return his favor. In the heart of this parable, in verses 19 through 27, we're told that the master returned as Jesus will return. And he evaluated what they did with what he gave. And only those who used what had been given for his purposes were invited to enter the joy of their master. And only the first two of those three were given the welcome good and faithful servants. Only those friends who produce some fruit enter the kingdom. They do so because they love and cherish the master. And so, therefore, love and cherish what matters to the master. And that's why I say in the outline on point number three that he encourages us to return his, notice this, his favor. Because those who are productive servants for the master cherish and love the master and what he loves and cherishes. And so they see it as a privilege. They see it as His grace. They see it as a favor bestowed upon them that they're able to do this. 
They do not see it as a drudgery. They don't come to church, a church for 10 years, that's emphasized truth and community and service and exists to help people learn about God, love Him and others, and live for His purpose. Come to a church that emphasizes that because Jesus emphasizes that and then say, He's on that service kick again. I really wish you'd get off that. You know, I've got more important stuff to do. Who's playing on my fantasy football team today? They don't see it that way. These servants produce fruit for the master because they see it as his favor, his grace, a privilege to be engaged in that. And these are just regular people. Notice Jesus doesn't say anything about these servants and what distinguished them. And the Bible is very clear that God has not chosen many noble, many wealthy but God has taken the lowly things and the foolish things to confound the wise. Just regular people like you and me, Jesus calls to do his bidding in his world. Regular people of various circumstances and abilities. Now, I'm going to do something that I have never done. And it may completely backfire and people may get mad and embarrassed. And therefore, I'll never do it again, assuming I'm still employed by the church. But I ask the sound guys to give me a microphone that I want to move around to our congregation. And I'm going to do some brief interviews with some regular people who serve Jesus. And I'm going to do that at random. And I mean that at random. I could interview every person in, in, this, in this group. And among this group, a fully 70% or so of folks are actively engaged in the Lord's work. So lots of folks who could give testimony as to how they serve Jesus. But at randomly, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that for a couple of reasons. One, it's a way to say thank you, not only to the people that I'll just randomly select, to encourage you to keep on serving the Lord Jesus in preparation for the day when we will be evaluated and hope to hear well done but also to encourage everyone here to know what God is doing in extraordinary ways through ordinary people and to encourage you to use what he's given you for the purpose for which he's given it. So I was going to walk around with this microphone, but I don't want to. So Matt, will you walk around with this microphone? How could he resist after I said be a servant and all that stuff, right? <laughs> so I'll just kind of start over here and I'll tell you to go to people. But before you go to somebody, you can, you can be the first person I'll interview. How's that? And uh, you've been at our church for a little over four years, is that right? That's right. And uh, you have been employed by the church for a little over two years. That's right. And uh, you work another job part-time as well, correct? Um, you... Uh, have a group that meets at your house on Sunday nights? Mm -hmm. I've been to your house. Um, it's about 4,000 square feet. <laughs> no? No, it's a bit smaller. It's How many people have you 900. had there? How many, what's, what's the largest group you've had there on a Sunday night? About 25. You've had 25. 25 people in your bungalow house in, in Allen Park. Mm -hmm. Now, you're able to do this because you don't have any, any children. That's right. We've studiously avoided them. <laughs> and Stella says, I'm here. What about me? <laughs> oh, Stella. <laughs> it's because your, your children all, are all uniformly well-behaved that you're able to do that. That is not correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's Stella, Stella here. Is. And then we all know Ruby and Schaefer, all right? And the point I'm making with all of that is it ain't easy. Sometimes it's not convenient on Sunday afternoon with three little kids to get your house ready for 15 or 20 or 25 people to come over. Would that be accurate? That is accurate. All right. Well, keep up, keep up the good work for the master. And if you'll give that to Larry. Larry, uh, you've been with us since day one for 10 years. 
That's right. And you've been leading our young people for all of that time, correct? Yep. And I know you don't know a number, but about how many times, if you were to just guess, how many times have you had teenagers over at your house? <laughs> It'd be dozens at, and at dozens. At some points, it was how many days were there in the month. <laughs> okay, they were over a lot, right? And teenagers go out of their way, these teenagers go out of their way to take great care of your stuff. Is that, is that correct? <laughs> your teenagers are very well behaved. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and how much do we pay you? Treasure in heaven. <laughs> Nothing. Somebody, I want people to understand that. Larry does our youth ministry. And we, the church doesn't pay him anything. You work a full-time job. Your wife works as well. You have three children at home. You plan activities, and you have children over uh, our teenagers over at your house on a regular basis. Thank you for your service, Larry. And we uh, we see. Go to the back here. Where's uh, where's where's Carico? See hiding there he is. Rich, you've been with us uh, since day one as well. Just to uh, tell us two or three or ten of the positions that you hold at our church. <laughs> uh, just a couple. Work with the uh, the treasuring and uh, men's ministry. Deacon. Deacon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as well. And uh, about on on average, about how many hours a week? do you have to put into those responsibilities? You know, I don't know. I mean, it takes a little bit of time to, to do those, but uh, it's, you work, it's, work, it's a privilege. Work a full-time job? I, I think so. <laughs> Does your boss think so? <laughs> where's, where's Trace? Where's your wife? She is in the nursery. And over 10, she's our nursery director, and over yes. 10 years, and I know you don't know the number, but in literally 10 years, about how many times has Tracy been in here where we are right now? In an actual worship service, I, I don't even know if I could count it on one hand how many times she's been in for a worship service. I know for um, Discovering uh, God Hour that, um, that she's been in a few more for that. But she's faithfully served every Sunday in the nursery. She loves it. It's her, her ministry. And does a great job at it, but um, yeah, she's very faithful. Well, thank you for your service. Keep up your faithfulness, and thank Tracy uh, for us thank as you. well. Okay, all right, Matt, if you'll come on over to this side for a minute, and I'll just take a few more, take a few more folks. And um, come on, come on up here and get Bob. Bob was trying to hide; he was slinking down. Yeah. <laughs> So, Bob, you're, you've been our uh, deacon. You've been our ministry support coordinator. What's the ministry support coordinator do in a nutshell? Uh, oversees all the other ministries, basically, yes. Okay. And oversees all the other ministries, which you all might imagine takes a good bit of, a good bit of time. How's your golf game? Uh, well, I've only played golf once in my entire <laughs> life, so it's not a... Bob's a sports fan, so he follows the Tigers, follows the Pistons, especially. Likes to play and plays basketball. That's how he's able to stay in shape. But in order for Bob to have the time, even in retirement, to oversee the ministries of our church, Bob has had to prioritize his time, even in retirement, to to do that. Served faithfully by his side with by Danita, who you've seen her smiling face for weeks and years over at our resource center. Let me ask you something, Bob. Uh, do you come and help set up? Uh, I've done that a few times. A few times? And how early do you guys get here on a normal Sunday? We start at 9.30. What time do you get here? Somewhere around 8, a little bit after, maybe okay. 10 after or so. And sometimes when you get here, there are people that are already here, Yes, correct? there are. And yes, who are, are some of those people? The, the sound folks are usually always here when I get here. So and that would Eric, be Tom? Tom and, and, uh, and Jerry. And Jerry. And Pete. Mm-hmm. Getting mm-hmm. here at least by 8 o'clock to set up so that you can hear what I'm saying? Many times Aaron's here already. Aaron, who's over there and was hoping I would point him out, <laughs> I'm sure, <laughs> faithfully sets up every, every week the seats that you're, you're sitting in. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Okay. 
And then, uh, Bob, if you would go over, to, or excuse me, Matt, if you would go over to Bob and Audrey here. So, Bob, what areas of service are you involved in right now? Uh, youth ministry. So you're helping Larry now. You and Audrey are helping Larry and Julie with our youth ministry. Yes, we're helping with the junior high. Been doing that for about a year? Uh, yeah. About a year. And I saw you with a guitar up here yep. as well. So you're helping out in our music ministry also? Yes, sir. And uh, four children yes. as well to, yeah. uh, to take care of? Full-time job? Uh, yeah. Audrey working a job as well? Yes, right? she is. And when you do that music ministry, is Carol, is Carol here or did she successfully hide? <laughs> All right, you don't need to take the microphone over to Carol, but with regard to our music ministry, Carol has for years been having the ensemble over at her house to practice because there is no place for them to practice other than that. Carol's house would be about the same size as Matt's house, a bungalow house in, in Allen Park. They practiced for the Christmas program last week and the three marvelous songs they did for us last week. In the upstairs of her house, if you've ever been in the upstairs of her house, to fit that ensemble up there with her keyboard to get that done, and that girl's been doing that for a full nine years for the Lord's work. In addition to helping out with our children in the children's choirs as well. So, Carol, I don't see you. There she is. All right. Thank you, Carol, for your service. And thank you, Bob, for your service. And Audrey, to our teenagers, and now in the music ministry as well. One last one, last but not least, Bill and Tricia. We're hoping I would avoid them. But Bill, tell me what area of ministry you guys are involved in. Uh, cafe community. All right. So you guys oversee the bagels and the danishes and the coffee and the juice and all that, right? Not today. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why I wanted to talk to you. <laughs> Get it together, will you? And you do that every week. Yes. And uh, that means you have to come in early. About how early do you come in on a normal We're Saturday? about 8.30. Come in at least an hour early mm -hmm. to make sure all that stuff gets set up for the rest of us. You have a crew of people that, that help you with that? Yes, a great crew. A great group, yeah. See, that's a, that's, a, that's a good leader giving credit to, right? Yeah, you do have a great group. But you're exemplifying service for them, and we appreciate that. And more importantly, it's pleasing to the Lord. So thank you for your... It's our pleasure. All right, now listen. I know if I were to ask every one of them, so why do you do this? It would be what Bill said. It would be what Rich said. It's a privilege. It's a pleasure to serve the Master. And I wanted to take some time for you all to see, and I could have interviewed all sorts of people throughout this room, that ordinary people are doing extraordinary things for the Lord Jesus in all sorts of different circumstances, not because it's easy, not because, you know, my kids are, are grown and gone. Some of the folks I talk to have little kids at, at home, not because they're independently wealthy and don't have to work a, a job. They work outside jobs and work in the workaday world and yet have prioritized their time and their treasure and their talent to see it used for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage them. I want to encourage the rest of you that are serving in those ways. And I want to challenge all of us to ask ourselves, are we using what Jesus has given for the purpose for which he gave it? Am I fully serving the Lord Jesus Christ with what he has entrusted to me? Now, we have another blank to fill in on your outline, and I'll try to finish quickly. Notice up at the top of your outline, the title of this message is Occupy Downriver. The reason for that is, in Luke 19, Jesus gives a similar parable about entrusting with the master's goods to others to be used for his purposes. And there Jesus says these words, Occupy until I come. And what's being said there when Jesus says occupy is not just hang around as, one, as life is one big Bill Knapp's God's waiting room. You guys remember the Bill Knapp's? That was where all the old people went. 
It's not just God's waiting room. Occupy. Y'all, and, and just passively wait, but rather actively occupy, like a military occupation, like occupied territories in the Middle East. It's an active occupation. Y'all remember the show All in the Family? Archie Bunker, the curmudgeonly, you know, and then Meathead, his son-in-law who didn't have a job, living with him in their house. And I still remember one scene where the mail came in, he had a pile of mail, Meathead's standing next to Archie. Archie's going through them going, resident, 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 resident. And he says, oh, here's one for you. Occupant. (laughs) That's a passive occupation. But Jesus says, occupy the area that I have assigned to you. Actively occupy. You are part of the privileged 1% that have been called out of the world and to the master's business. And so occupy until I come. And in our case, occupy downriver. Now, there was another servant. Remember the two. One was given five, he gained five. One was given two, he gained two. But one was given one talent, and he buried it. And he had to give an account. Did you read of his excuses? before the master in verses 19 to 27. He says, I knew that you were a hard man, that you reap where you have not sown. And so I simply buried it, and he just gives back what had been assigned to him. When he says, I knew that you were a hard man, in effect he was saying, I knew you would deal with me harshly, and therefore what's the use? points the finger at the character of the master, shows that the reason he was not fruitful with what the master had assigned to him was because he did not love and cherish the master. And fourthly, in your outline then, Jesus, for each person, explains our reward. Now, friends, you see that that servant who did not use what the Lord had given for his purposes, Jesus says, you're not my servant after all. Away from me, cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing, verse 30, and gnashing of teeth. You say, really, is my going to heaven based upon how well I do on earth? Hear this. How well you do on earth is based upon whether or not you're going to heaven. People who are saved, who are servants of the master, do this. It's the fruit of what children of God do. They don't get heaven because they did it. They did it because they're going to heaven. And if I'm a child of the master, if I've really been bought by his blood, then this is what I do. And if my life is structured around lesser things, then it shows that I do not love and cherish the master. And so as we start 2012, we need to think about resolving by God's grace to use what he has given for the purpose for which he has given it. Last year, I gave you three resolutions that are repeated a number of times throughout the year. Deal with the past so you can delight in the present and so together we can drive toward the future. I know that some of you did not do this. Another year has gone by and you're still dealing with the same junk. Now, I don't say that to heap guilt. I say that to say, don't make the same mistake in 2012. And so let me give you some resolutions for us. These are listed in your program, by the way. But I encourage each of us throughout 2012, reevaluate what's most important. I mean, what really gets you geeked? What are you using your time for? What are you using your talent for? What's really most important? Is it what's most important to Jesus? Realign, then, your desires around what's most important. And then schedule accordingly. Reprioritize your time around what's most important. 
I'll have occasion to show those to you several times throughout this coming year. Now, I'm almost done. But rather than being down and feeling guilty, as, as when we have a message like this, if you're listening, if you have any sensitivity at all to the Spirit, then like me, you're convicted. But rather than being down and feeling guilty, let me encourage you to be grateful for what we've looked at today. Because areas that we need to improve have been identified for each of us. Think of it this way. If you were an athlete and you cared about improving your golf game, let's say, and you had a professional watch your golf swing and say, look, you've got some problems with your swing, do this. Would you be upset about that? You'd be grateful, wouldn't you? Or if you were moving in a particular career and someone who has retired from that career knows a whole lot more about it than you do, sees what you're doing, how you're pursuing it, gives you some tips, tells you to correct some things, will you be upset with them or will you be grateful? Now, here's the difference. You'd be thankful for those things because you're being pointed in the right direction on something you care about deeply. And friends, what I'm trying to do is point you in the right direction on something that I assume you care about deeply. The Lord Jesus and his business. And if you care about that deeply, then thank God we've been able to have this time together. Thank God that 2012 can be used by reevaluating what's important, realigning our desires, and reprioritizing our schedules accordingly. Look at the take-home truth in your outline. We each have the privilege, the privilege of using what the Lord has given for the purpose for which he gave it. Let's do that together in 2012. Now, we're going to be dismissed in just a moment with a closing song. But before we are, I need to give you all some information about some goings-on in one of our uh, church families. So Ken and Beth, if you guys would come on up. Two thousand eleven was a big year for these guys, and two thousand twelve is going to have some serious transitions going on for Ken and Beth. I'll tell you about those in a second. But first, this is another family that I could have had a microphone go to. You're thankful I didn't, but Thank you. it's worse. I brought it's worse. I brought you up front here. <laughs> and why? Because uh, Ken and Beth Akers and uh, their three children, Jake and Kenny and Madison came to our church for the first time in January of 2002. We had only been going as a church for a few months. And God blessed our church with some of those very early families getting mailers about a new church and coming and joining with us and shouldering the load to carry on the Lord's work here. And among them, and very importantly, were Ken and Beth and their, and their family. And they have served faithfully here now for these nine years, uh, over nine years. And they've served faithfully in teaching for several years, our fifth and sixth grade class every week. My girls went through that. They loved it. Absolutely loved the Acres class. Loved playing knock hockey. Yeah. <laughs> Learned about Jesus too, but they played. <laughs> they loved it. Not only that, but a couple of years ago, we asked Ken if he would be willing to teach the fifth and sixth grade class on Wednesdays. So the same folks who are teaching on, on Sunday morning also coming in to teach on Wednesday night, the fifth and sixth grade class. Often you'll see Ken coming in still in his work attire, working at Ford, because he's had to come straight over sometimes. Same thing with the guys who set up for us on Wednesday evenings, like Aaron, might have to come straight in from work, no dinner, that kind of stuff. That's what Ken does often for us. So taught faithfully, taught the word of God, showed Jesus to our young people. And so many families can attest to what I say here. They, we have benefited by the ministry of this couple, and we thank you guys for that. Okay. Now, what's been going on with them? <clears throat> Ken works at Ford, <clears throat> and Ford is transferring for a three-year assignment. Ken to Moscow. Now, there used to be a joke that if you did something wrong, we would ship you to Siberia. 
I don't, it's not quite as bad, but he's... In fact, Ken is and, and Beth are excited, I'm sure intimidated as well by, by the opportunity. But they are going to be going to Moscow for three years, and we're going to miss them dearly. Uh, they are... officially starts February 1st, but some arrangements have to be made, and it's not clear exactly when you'll be there and settled in and all that. So it may be a few months, but it's going to happen over the next weeks and, and months that they'll be moving to Moscow and for that three-year three year period. So we want to pray for them uh, as they're gone. We want to thank them for their services as well. Uh, I have another thing to say that's happened, another couple things that have happened in their lives. But uh, I'm not making a prediction, but I have a friend <clears throat> who works for Ford who was assigned to Australia for a period of time, uh, fell in love with the Australian people, is now going to seminary while he works at Ford so he can go back to Australia. So I'm not saying you'll be back in Moscow. <laughs> but the Lord's going to open doors of ministry for you. And Ken has already asked me, how can we get a community of faith there in Moscow? And you don't know this, but I've made contact with Central Baptist Church in Moscow. Yeah, so there are, believe it or not, there are believers there who gather together. And these guys, Lord willing, will be able to be a part of that. Okay, So they're going to Moscow. The other thing that's happened is Beth just got a master's degree in management last month. And uh, congratulations to you, Beth, for that. And uh, serving while going to school and uh, all that that entails, and that's quite an accomplishment. So we we congratulate you for that. And then, of course, they have a transition in their family because if you were here November 20 for our baptism, you saw Bill propose in front of all of us to their daughter Madison. They're going to have a wedding in August. You guys going to come back for that? Maybe. So we look forward to that as well. So thank God for how he's worked. You know, parting is, as Shakespeare said, sweet sorrow, but we're thankful for what the Lord has done through this couple and this family, and we look forward to what he's going to do in and through them in this uh, three-year journey in Moscow. So here's what I'd ask us to do. We're going to stand in a moment for our closing song, and I'm going to ask you guys if you'll go out into the hallway and just kind of hang out in the hallway so that we can come by and, uh, and thank you for your service and let you know we'll be praying for you, okay? Let's stand together for our closing song, all right? Thank you.